So let's talk about training. There is so much BS out there in regards to training. Um, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I just think that there's so it's kind of like um, everyone's selling their program at this point. The best program, yeah. the most visual effect gets the most attention. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's um, eye catching. So then they know yeah. what they're talking about in terms of training. And then it also <clears throat> something that kind of like drives me insane as a coach and you and I both have an education. We have our masters in exercise science and advanced nutrition. So we know how to do proper exercise programs and program designs, right? Yeah. I mean, let me kind of, I'm going to back up a little bit in terms of talking well, about the education. I wasn't done with that, but go ahead. Okay. So it's the season of can, giving. Yeah, exactly. I gave so, you that. <laughs> Let me kind of explain a little, a few things. So, yeah, we have an education, but the applicable side of things are always the, the value, right? Education is only a tool. So, as um, long as you can apply it, that's what's valuable. Well, that's why I say application and apl- well, being applicable, yeah. applicable to those things. Well, I mean, you know, you have the people out there. They're like, "Well, I got education. I got education." It's like, yeah, you could, well, you could quote all day what's on page fifty nine of your exercise phys book, but you can't apply it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. He's giving me a stank ass look, guys. She cut me off, guys, but I'll let her. I always do. No, go ahead. It's a season of giving. Season of giving. Go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to get our shit together for you guys. Um, But no, like, all I was saying is that um, what kind of drives me insane, too, is the fact where people think there's like some magical split out there or there's some magical training program or my training needs to be changed every six to eight weeks or oh muscle confusion like all of these different things and I'm just like uh stop because it's all false so let's take this and let's talk about let's talk all about training let's let's talk about you know debunking the bullshit Let's just get straight down to it, and uh, we'll go from there. So let's start with this. Gillis, I know. I know what you're going to say in regards to training frequency, but what would you say is the most optimal form of training frequency? Like how often should you train a muscle group? And why? I think it depends on the person's genetics in terms of what are their strong points, weak points. Um, and then goals too, like if they're a strength athlete or. Absolutely. So, for example, you know, when I when you say what's the optimal, it's a very, again, subjective answer. Well, I guess I should have categorized it, but go ahead. So. What's optimal is basically a couple of things. So optimal has to be what's something that they're capable of doing in terms of frequency, mm-hmm. meaning if they're training a muscle group more than once a week, is it first and foremost realistic for their lifestyle 
or it, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say, do they have the time to, because I feel like we can make time mm-hmm. if it's a goal that we're actually getting into, especially for us competitors. Do you think it also boils down to experience? Are you a beginner lifter? Are you a moderate lifter? Are you an advanced lifter? Well, I feel like there's beginner then there's advanced. There's no intermediate. I don't feel like there's an intermediate. You're kind of in the trenches is the intermediate. So what I mean by anybody that's a beginner is somebody maybe a year or less or maybe a year and a half or less is considered a beginner. In that case, training one muscle group once a week Mm -hmm. is okay. And you can still make some pretty good progress. Because the newbie gains. Exactly. So the stimulus is fairly new to you in terms of your body responding to it. Mm -hmm. The more and more you become... um, experienced as an a lifter um the more difficult it is to make well i wouldn't say that it's more difficult it is more difficult but the changes are not as drastic they're very very um marginal in terms of the progression that you're going to see as an elite lifter or an advanced lifter Mm -hmm. so at that point it becomes down to the point where if something's going to give you a slight tweak to your training can give you maybe one and a half to two percent improvements as an elite lifter. That's huge mm-hmm. in terms of your overall physique changes. So, okay, so I mean, you and I we've we've seen this before within our coaching where we took on a client. They were already an experienced lifter, but with these different types of techniques. And then frequency of training, it actually helped improve their physique because these weren't things that they were incorporating before they came to us because they didn't know about. So what's your take on that? So, I mean, I've had someone that I've worked with that's been training for 10 plus years, Mm -hmm. but their whole life of training, they've trained a muscle group once a week Mm -hmm. because this is the, this is the norm that they've always been used to right so whenever we start introducing someone to doing legs twice a week or shoulders three times a week and it's outside of the norm then the volume in terms of that specific stimulus of the muscle group is a lot higher than someone that's training once a week for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. so um it's it's a totally different stimulus Mm -hmm. um in that so we're asking of a higher demand of that actual muscle tissue to basically adapt. Yeah. I mean, even with, um, some of the, the women that I'm working with currently, um, where they are competitors, they're just in their off season right now. When they first came to me, they were going to a coach that followed, didn't follow the same type of training principles like you and I know, of course, because they're uneducated. They didn't, they don't know that, but, but just taking those people and then putting them on this training protocol, mm-hmm. it's like, man, like they made some awesome gains. And, you know, a lot of the competitors I deal with are figure, you know, because I'm a figure competitor. So it's like you attract what you are for the most part. Um, but I will say that these ladies that I'm working with, I mean, I've been working with them for a while now. I mean, they brought up their back, their legs their shoulders, just from changing the frequency and then incorporating different techniques within their training that they never thought of before, you know, and then like the same thing goes with training splits. 
do you think that there's a optimal training split out there or what, what's your take on that? So I think there's an, Hmm, I guess my first thought before I answer that is everyone's very individualized and different. Mm -hmm. So what someone's split might be for one person can work or may not work for another. That being said, doesn't mean that everyone's different. Everyone should have different programs. There still should be a foundational yeah. aspect of your training programming and something solid and concrete mm -hmm. that are part of your core lifts exactly to be monitored right but i mean i like just to add to that like i don't know if you said this or not but in regards to their goal you know obviously you need to develop a optimal split for them that's going to help them achieve that goal or bring up whatever muscle group yeah, they so got to bring example, up if we're talking about a bodybuilder i'm going to give it as an example coming from my standpoint okay and if this bodybuilder has great arms, great back, um, but lacks in chest, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have this competitor or this bodybuilder do back three times a week and do this that much volume. I would focus more on, we need to focus on bringing up a muscle group. Mm -hmm. So at that point, the volume needs to be higher for the specific lagging muscle group, mm -hmm. giving it a greater stimulus doesn't mean that we need to back off on the other muscle groups but in terms of what's an optimal split is a split that's going to be optimal and actually improving that actual physique mm -hmm. based off of what we need to make it as a complete physique yeah because one thing that i notice that people like to do and i think we're all guilty of this is we love to train the body part that's our strong point mm -hmm. you know and and we'll we'll go ahead and we'll go hard on it but then when it comes to something else that's maybe not so much a strong point, like, yeah, we'll put in the work, but it's not as hard or it's not as often as you training that specific body group that's a strong point for you. Absolutely. And the best advice that I can give to anyone, and this goes to, you know, yeah, there's the myths of muscle confusion. Oh, God. But yeah. that being said, there is, you know, what's not a myth is that mind muscle connection. Yep. And that kind of goes back to, like you said, people are very visual. They tend to train what they can see. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of ironic that we say that because we also on the opposite side of things say that in a complete, in a competition world is that shows, shows are one, are from, one the from the rear. Yep. Okay. Um, so that being said, getting used of that mind muscle connection, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and also adapting to finding ways or start focusing on ways that you can actually engage mm -hmm. the muscles that you're maybe not feeling work quite as much. Typically, it's always back mm -hmm. or maybe legs or not. The mind-muscle connection isn't as strong as someone that's doing bicep curls or somebody that's doing chest. Yeah. Um, so get used and get comfortable with feeling what you're working with the actual muscle group you're actually working yeah. with the intent of what you're trying to do. And that's kind of funny that you say that. Like we always tend to work the muscle groups that we see more so than what we don't see. I feel on that spectrum, I'm the opposite, you know, like, I don't know. It's really weird. Like I will go hard as shit on my backside, like my back, my legs, like hamstrings. I mean, I'll go hard altogether, but I'm just saying like, I just remember for 
my last prep, we were so concerned about like my legs focusing on hamstrings, glutes, everything that I felt like just from doing that, it, it took a little bit away from my, from my front, you know, like not saying I look bad by all means, but when I look at pictures, I can tell, okay, I, I should have maybe focused a little bit more on this, 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 if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about the physique, it goes back to what you need to work on yeah. you know, as a priority first. Exactly. So I, um, I would say I disagree with what you're saying, but it's well, okay to disagree, I guess. <laughs> well, no, because I just remember being down in the trenches of training and my main concern was, oh my God, my legs, my legs, my legs. I got to get my legs lean, you know, because I'm like every other woman. I hold my body fat in the back of my legs, yeah, you know, I think that just comes with time and nutrition and, and diet. You're right. But it's kind of like one of those things where you're in the trenches of it. You're thinking that, man, the harder I go at training, the more of an outcome I'm going to get. But we all know that it's all tied down to your diet. The deficit, letting the deficit run its course. But, you know, I know that we kind of, we think that way. Like, man, I'm going to go hard on this because I, that's where I hold all the fat, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that is an opposite because like you said, you know, you're more focused on the back side of things mm -hmm. because these are things that you feel like, you know, you need to bring up exactly. or be leaner. So you tend to go harder versus someone that is already lean in the chest or the arms they're, they're much, not going hard in the back. Yeah, their mind-muscle yeah. connection is a lot stronger because these things that they can visually see in the mirror working mm -hmm. um, and making those changes. So yep. so how often do you think, I mean, I know this is something we hear all the time, you know, how to like or when to change up your training, you know, programs mm -hmm. because Lord forbid your muscles get used to a specific program because you want to keep them quote-unquote confused. What's your take on that? Uh, it's bullshit as far as confusing them. <laughs> if anything, I'm trying to educate them on the why I'm doing things. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, to give a very general advice as far as what's an optimal split or what's optimal training, as I would say, is maybe training a muscle group maybe twice a week at minimum. Um, but what about how often to to physically change up your training program because you know, you have people that's like, Oh, well, you know, every six weeks I'm, I'm got to change up my training and do something totally that, different. I would say that changing things up prematurely is just being detrimental because you're not mm -hmm. giving that, um, you're not giving yourself enough time yeah. to have an adaptation to the stimulus that you're putting yeah. it through in that specific time range. So I would say at minimum, maybe eight weeks, um, some people can go 12. Mm -hmm. I think it just depends on the person when it comes to that. Maybe six weeks is enough. Um, but again, it's very individualized to the person in terms of how their body is actually mm -hmm. responding. And then also, um, you know, I would say that more so I would say at least no less than maybe 12 weeks, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I don't even think eight weeks. I mean, I think when I'm talking about six or eight weeks, I'm thinking of a whole another thing in terms of more of like, recovery from deloading, deloading but not yeah. necessarily that's a whole another um that's topic a, exactly because like something that i like to do with my clients and you know obviously you and i are both under gt nutrition performance mm -hmm. but we kind of have like our own little our own little group of clients absolutely um but one thing that i like to do with my clients is i will not change up their training very often 
Now, the only times that I will make physical changes to exercises, like swapping them out or adding some new things in, is if for one, there's an injury or something's bothering them, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this out, put this in to help, you know, recovery or after we deload. Because I always ask my clients, you know, around deload time, hey, what what are some things that you want to change up? Or are there some things that you want to see more of just to kind of get that feedback from them to keep them motivated? You know, but I think realistically, there really isn't, you know, a magical time to change up your physical training, like the exercises that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've been following the same off-season protocol for a while now. Yeah. The only thing that changes within my training is the weight and then the reps. That's it. You know, nothing else changes. So that's kind of, that's what I do. You know, cause I just, it, I think to myself, if we're changing up your training all the damn time, how are you going to get that, that optimal stimulus that we're looking for? Because it's like perfecting your craft in a sense. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, it goes back to the fact that um, what I always do in terms of my clients, so I'll kind of give you a little bit of an example of what I do typically with my clients versus what you had just said in terms for yours, is usually whenever I get a response such as, oh, I hate doing this exercise, there's something else I can do. Mm -hmm. I First, I tend to educate on why I've given them this specific exercise. Yeah. Two, I also take into consideration that I don't want them to be demotivated right. or to feel like, well, this is going to suck and they're dreading their actual yeah. training. So it becomes more of a psychological thing because if they're already going in the gym defeated and feeling unmotivated and they're not going to ever have that mind muscle connection if mm -hmm. they absolutely hate doing squats, for example. Well, well, squats, okay. I think, is one of those exercises that Some you don't have to do. Squats, right. So, but I feel like um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess yep. you can say. So I feel like it depends on the length of time I've been working with the person. And this goes for anyone that might be doing their own training, too. And mm -hmm. uh, this is your own self-observation in terms of whether your decisions should be to change the exercise up or to make or to stick it out is basically um, I always educate my clients in terms of why I'm doing this. Yep. And if we do have to change it up just for the simple fact that maybe it might be due to lack of stability, for example, mm -hmm. if it's maybe something like squats or maybe it's split squats and they've yeah. lost their balance and they just, it's hard for them to really kind of get in the groove of things, then maybe I do a similar compound movement or a similar exercise yeah. that still mimics the movement. That way we can kind of focus on something more foundational first. And then maybe mm -hmm. we can revisit that actual specific exercise. So that's usually the times that I usually change it up. Yeah. Um, the second thing is really individualized to the person too. If it's a competitor, I'm a little more anal about not changing things. Exactly. If it's a general population person, I'm much more concerned with the fact that it's got to be more in terms of motivation and psychological yeah because if they're not motivated and they're feeling like they're just being run through the ringer and they don't really care to do these exercises but you're telling mm -hmm. them they got to do it yeah um 
it's not going to do anything good for the client. It's not going to keep them motivated. And it's not going to keep mm-hmm. them goal driven. Yep. And it's really not going to do anything for you as the coach helping them. Right. I mean, and that's honestly why I always ask for their feedback around the deload mm-hmm. because I'm like, hey, we're getting ready to take you into your next training block. What changes would you like to see? And that's kind of where I gather that feedback of, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'd like to try this rather than this. And, you know, I do take those things into consideration. I'm like, okay. That's Absolutely. what we're going to do. But there are some limitations, though, to some of these things, I will say. And, you know, I have, you know, some clients that they train out of their home. They have like a home gym. But in that sense, they're still kind of restricted to what they can and can't do. You know, so in, in cases like that, it is a little bit harder to make some changes because on my end of, of things, I really have to get creative. In regards to, okay, what can they do that's not based upon an actual corporate type of gym? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of like, that. that's the hard thing mm-hmm. is, is that. But not everybody has a home gym, you know, so we'll just stick to talking about the gym. Got it. All right. Um, so what are your thoughts on overtraining? Because I know people, I mean, again, that old, old bro myth that if you are training a muscle group more than one time a week, it's overtraining. Well, I feel like, all right. I feel like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no one knew what overtraining was and it didn't exist. Right. And people would spend four to five hours in a gym and go all out. Right. Right. You know, you've seen some great, um, you know, you've seen some great outcomes in doing that. And then, you know, more and more that education has come more about in terms of the scientific literature with coming out in terms of training. Mm-hmm. I think people have gotten to the point where they're um, like no paralysis better. by analysis, essentially. Yeah. So now they've become to the point where they're overthinking things yeah. to get the perfect program yep. to the point where now maybe I'm overtraining. So anytime you're feeling an ache and a pain, you're overtraining or maybe yes. I need to back off. Yep. So then it went from going zero to a hundred to barely going zero to 25. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so now I feel like we're going back into the stage, I guess, in, you know, in the fitness industry or society or whatever you want to call it is that now we're, um, we're coming up with these creative exercises. Mm. I mean, I see, um, I don't know. I, I, There's so I much the stuff most, out there. Yeah, some of the <laughs> most you got girls exercises in some of these corporate gyms. Yeah, and, and or you got girls squatting their dogs now. And I <laughs> well, whatever. I don't know about that. But, <laughs> it's a thing. I promise you. But Go I ahead. mean, the biggest thing is that you always you always keep your foundational lifts. I keep it simple. I I'll I'll be creative when needed to. So I basically I have those tools in my in my toolbox if needed, but I always keep a very consistent, um, strong foundation and I build from there when it comes Mm -hmm. to training. So, well, you brought up a a good point that made me think of something, um, where you mentioned about the aches and pains, Mm -hmm. you know, because you have those people out there, they feel one little ache, like, Oh my God, no, I'm going to hurt myself. But they're not realizing the fact that it's not a pain in regards to injury pain. It's more of a discomfort from weight training because weight training is not supposed to be comfortable. You know, it, it just, 
I don't know. Like, I know, like, I've dealt with some people like that before in the past where it's like every little, like, uncomfortability or anything that felt uncomfortable to them, Mm -hmm. which it wasn't resulting from an injury. It was just more so afraid to push because they felt a little, like, pain. And I think, you know what I mean? I think that goes back to the client itself too well yeah i think that again it goes back to your general population you're probably going to come across those time things more so yeah than you will a competitor on the opposite side of things if you get a competitor and you're starting off with foundational lifts you're probably going to get more on the opposite side of things that they're not going hard, hard enough, enough or they're not yeah. going heavier enough and it's more of a a more strategic thing when it comes to competing because it's exactly pushing that person past their own limits, but at the same time doing it smartly in order to ensure that they're not injuring themselves, but also to ensure that they're recovering from Mm -hmm. um, the stimulus of training, whether it's their, you know, um, being, I mean, overtraining is really one of those things that, you know, you have to, I feel that's more so something that power lifters, experience to a year i would say of consistent training and never really taking a deload or giving your central nervous system a break right then and you're also dieting and you're not in a calorie surplus so when you're talking about like overtraining it's because you're um you're not taking the necessary steps to recover yeah performance is usually taking usually going on a decline at it after it's peaked it's starting to decline Mm -hmm. and you know, it just kind of depends, but I really don't think, I think more people these days under train rather than over train. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, what about training when you're in a fat loss versus when you're not in a fat loss? Because as we know, when people are not in a fat loss, when they're in their off season, they're like, oh yeah, now I can move some heavy weight. But when they're in a fat loss, they usually go lightweight, more reps, and they kind of stay away from those heavier, heavier weights. Yeah. Well, What's I your think, thoughts? I mean, I, I feel like you end up losing the stimulus from going heavy. Mm-hmm. So I think that the mindset shouldn't change. Right. I think you should always challenge yourself. You should always be um, striving to go heavier or at least go within your challenged limits. Obviously, when you get deeper and deeper as far as the competitive size and a prep, you're going to actually take a hit on strength. Mm-hmm. Just kind of comes with the territory. And I think that's but really... Like, I think the mindset shouldn't change when it comes to that. And I think that's when intensity needs to pick up. And I think that's when instead of looking like being motivated for your whole exercise or your whole training that day or your... Um, I think you need to take it rep by rep, set by set. And you give it whatever you got to give it to make it happen. But I think in regards to like certain areas or like losing strength when you're in prep, um, I think it really depends on the individual. Like, you know, speaking from my experience, I'll tend to lose strength in in my legs Mm -hmm. during prep. But in my upper body, I'll get stronger, you know, and this is something I even tell all of my clients who are transitioning into a fat loss, I tell them that when it comes to training, there's really no reason to go light, especially when you're in a fat loss, because 
that's that's the point where it's more where it's so important to ensure that you're moving heavy weight, you know, obviously safely, efficiently. Yeah, I here. mean, I think you should be. I guess the better term in terms of going heavy or light or is challenge. Yeah, yeah challenging. Heavy and light is very subjective, right? But no, so. I know. But I mean, I'm saying like heavy to me is totally different than heavy to someone else or heavy to you or heavy to some other female out there. Well, that's what I mean by being subjective. It's a subjective term. Well, yeah. So more so challenging yourself just like you did during your improvement season. Well, exactly. But like I'm, I'm referring it to, or I'm referring to more so going heavy within your limits, what you know is heavy. You know what I mean? And I like, even when I have like right now I have a couple of fat loss clients and one of them told me like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired, you know, when I'm training and you know, I want to go lighter on weight. And I tell them, no, no, it's all in your head. You know, that's what people, that's, that's what's wrong with people. They let that calorie deficit get in their head rather than having a strong mindset and having that intensity to get through it and try to go as heavy as you can. That's it. Because when I'm in prep, when I'm at the lowest of the low, like calorie wise, I get stronger. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more so because of my mindset at that given moment. My mindset at that point is so vicious that to me, I'm telling myself like, you're either moving this fucking weight or you're not. Mm -hmm. Like, and not is not an option. Absolutely. So I, you know... That's like the biggest thing. When you're in a fat loss, do not count yourself out in regards to challenging yourself with weight. That's more because it's a competitive mindset. And you're right. And it could absolutely, it it does differ from your general population, someone who's just looking to get in in shape or lose some weight versus a competitor. But even though like you do have some competitors out there where they still believe that method of, well, I'm in a calorie deficit. So in order to be safe, I have to go lighter. You know, I mean, it's, it's something that, I mean, I know when I'm talking to certain people at our gym, well, you know, the it's, same people that are doing fasted cardio because it burns more fat than fed state cardio, but what, <laughs> that's another topic too. <laughs> or the people that are rocking the waist trainers. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But, um, what about, let's see, I, I have a list here. I'm just kind of going over things, making sure we covered everything here. Um, yeah. So we, I mean, I think we covered all of the topics. Um, do you have anything that you want to add in into training? I mean, the biggest take home from this, this specific podcast mm-hmm. is for those out there that don't have coaches or, um, or may have coaches, you know, um, for training, you know, training shouldn't be changed that frequently. It mm-hmm. should actually give you a concrete enough time, 12 weeks or more. And then reassess where you are. Oh, well, what about, we forgot to touch on this. What about monitoring training? Because that's something that is very important, like monitoring, you know, volume and just seeing the, the volume progress over time. Because obviously when you first start off on a training program, and I actually have a couple of new clients right now where I did, you know, nutrition and training for them. And they're like, well, it's, my training's just really easy right now. You know, when are we going to do more? And in my mind, I'm kind of laughing because I'm like, you have no idea what's to come. Not that I like, my goal is to kill them, you know, but just in regards to training volume, because as you progress, your volume goes up. So what's your thoughts in regards to monitoring 
training, training volume, all that good stuff. I mean, I feel like with training volume, there's so many different ways to train. And I think it's to keep it simple is that if you're doing a training block, that's a 12 week block, for example, a three month mm -hmm. training program, and you're starting out with week one and you see these, you're doing three sets of 10 on bench press, for example. And looking back, you know, now that you're 10 weeks, 11 weeks in, you're about to be completed with that three month program. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think just monitoring these things on a week to week basis to whether it's a linear progression, meaning mm -hmm. that you increase weight yep. each week, increase maybe a rep or two yep. each week, or maybe even increase a whole set, yeah. depending on how you feel comfortable with making that adjustment. But I think that's a great way to actually adjust um, training volume in terms of making sure that you're progressing mm -hmm. rather than just going in a gym now, and train. Okay, so let's let's define training volume because we may have some people that's like, well, I don't really know exactly what they mean by training volume. What's training volume? So, I mean, training volume is defined by reps times weight times sets, the amount of mm -hmm. sets you're doing. That's technically what training volume is. Yep. Okay. And then, you know, obviously within monitoring training, there are different things that you can use to, to track, you know, when you should, especially if you don't have a coach, but when you should maybe increase the weight, maybe increase the reps, you know, you can incorporate RIRs or RPEs. I think for like normal population, RPEs is a little bit more confusing I mean, than I an RIR. Like RIRs and RPEs don't even need to be in place for well, that. Well, I'm saying for the people that may be listening and they're like, well, man, I really want to monitor my training, you know, because I like to incorporate RIRs. So can you tell us what RIRs are for those that don't maybe? Yeah. So RIRs stand for reps and reserve. So basically to simply put it, and this is something that I tell all my clients who are new to this is how many reps did you feel you had left in you after you performed your set? And there's really no right or wrong number. You know, if you went to failure, it's zero. If you felt like you had one in you, it's one. If you feel like you had two reps in you, it's two and so forth. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a good way to, to gauge it, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you don't have somebody like a coach looking over your training and making sure that you are progressing each week or how are we going to make changes? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a, that's a good factor for when to, to change things on your own. You know, like if you perform an exercise at a certain weight and let's say you have a RIR of let's say four, if you have an RIR of four, that's a good indication of, well, maybe you should increase the weight. You know, if you have a RIR of three, depending on what the exercise is, maybe you increase the reps or maybe you want to increase the weight a little bit, even mm -hmm. by like two and a half pounds, you know? So I think that could be a technique that for those out there who may not have a coach or they can't afford a coach, that's definitely a good system that they could implement in their training. And I don't think it's really that confusing. Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it, it allows them to better self-gauge themselves exactly. in terms of that. Um, and then take control and learn as they go, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm a true believer when it comes to training. Um, a technique I like to incorporate is, is progressive overload. You know, like 
just like how you touched upon like each week, just trying to be a little bit better. And how do you, how do you have a system of monitoring that? You know, I mean, yeah, you could be like, okay, well, I'm just going to up the weight a little bit this week or up my rep, you know, but I think if you have a solid system in place, like RIRs tracking that, it takes the guesswork out of it for you. I agree. So, um, I think that's it. Yeah. I think we pretty much covered that. We kind of went hard on training there, but, um, again, guys, hopefully you guys got some good, uh, information out of that. I can't talk. Yeah, I know what it is. Gotten good, great information Ugh. out of that. Um, but on that same note, if you guys have any questions in regards to any of the topics that we may have discussed, or if you have questions in regards to what you're current tra- currently doing in training, or want some feedback on what you're currently doing, uh, Taryn and I are always open to you know giving advice, any questions, yep. or advice, or things like that. So. I mean, we keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to write a whole training program for you. I mean, that's why we coach people. So if you are looking for coaches who are educated in the field of exercise science, but are, but are applicable to it, that's something that Gillis and I are very good at. So if you are kind of confused as to what to do in regards to training, you know, let us know gtnutritionperformance.org. And of course, I'm going to have all that information listed down below. But like Gillis said, if you have any questions in regards to your own personal training and you want some advice on maybe, well, how can I track this? How can I do that? How can I do this? Reach out to us. We're always open to, you know, help people out the best that we can. So on that note, until next time, guys.